Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I'm very thankful and appreciative, but I, my brain feels like it's on fire most times because I yeah. just, I'm, I'm exhausted most days. You truly do. It kind of reminds me of that scene in uh, Infinity War where Doctor Strange has the multiple arms coming up <laughs> because it's like you've got your hands in so much stuff. You're really having to go in there and get things going, man. And that's just, that's incredible. Like that's the, it, it, because that means it's possible. That's the thing, you know, you, you, you talk about, you know, you talk about the impossible becoming possible. And you see that yeah. through what you're doing, you know, it's just really cool to see that. Oh, well, thank you. And I, I just, I just always try to encourage people, just keep going, keep trying. You know, it's, it, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's tough. There are days where things are, it's, it's not easy, you know, but you just, you have to just keep moving forward and, and something somewhere, it, it has to change because things can't stay the same way forever. It's just, just not possible. Hey, have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a conversation about geek topics, pop culture topics, hot topics, or different things like that? You ever thought about what it would be like to have a group of people you could talk to about these things and engage? Well, guess what? Now you have a chance to do that. Thank you for joining us on this trip, and welcome to Conversations About Dot Dot Dot. I hope you enjoy. Hey guys, before we get this started, I just want to tell you about an exciting new tool that has helped and is also a sponsor of the podcast, Poddex. Poddex are a deck of cards you can use to get everything from ideas to podcast topics to ideas for would you rather questions and other exciting podcast stuff. All the decks of cards you can use to help grow your podcast and more importantly, come up with ideas when you're running dry out ideas. So what you want to do, it's, and that's also a great way to support the show, by the way. Go to www.poddex.com, use the promotional code, join the conversation, and get 5% off of your order. So that's www.poddex.com, join the conversation for the promotional code for 5% off your order. You will not regret it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another fascinating episode of Conversations About Dot Dot Dot. My name is Will. I get the honor this week of interviewing Jingu Jan. Uh, I got to meet him through CadetsCon this year. And then, like, I saw the artwork this man was producing and the story this man was producing and, you know, taking, you know, taking very Oriental Korean style artwork and just, just breathing new life into it. And then, you know, dealing with vampires and these very mythic places and things like that. I just got inspired. I was just like, whoa, what is this? This is so cool. And it reminded me of old school Korean comic books that I got a chance to read growing up, which is something I hadn't seen really in a while. You know, I've seen, you know, people refer to Korean comic books and stuff like that and everything, but it's different when you see somebody take what you've seen before and kick it up a notch, really kind of, really kind of, you know, turn the volume to 11. So I want to first of all let him say hello to you guys so you can get to hear him. Oh, hi. Um, I'm Jing Jin. Uh, thank you for, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Um, it it's, it's, a, it's a lot that kind of goes into everything, and but you're right. I, I really do. I appreciate um you know, Chinese and Korean comic books. And that's been such a huge inspiration on me over the years. And I just try to make sure that I'm giving people quality uh, at every turn so that they continually get something that, uh, that maybe they haven't seen before that way. And that's, uh, that's certainly done to a level that uh, it, I want them to be able to keep coming back to, to continue to see where, where this journey is going. And, and so everything is approached that way where it's just like, okay, have to make sure that you're giving 100% of everything uh, all the time to the people who invest their time and resources into what you're doing. Definitely, definitely. I picked up the first two books that Mr. Jen had uh, because I know there's a switch going on. You originally, did you originally self-publish the first two works that were out there? And yeah. Okay, and so that's just breathtaking of itself. I looked at this, the quality of the books that I got, and I was like, dude, this is self-published. 
you know, I can't wait to see what happens when Second Sight gets a hold of it. You know, like it's going to be a whole other level. You know, and so it's really cool to, to see that. So we always start where we start because I feel like everybody has a start somewhere. You know, not everybody landed as an alien on the planet, you know, and then we're able to, you know, become a superhero or, you know, everybody wasn't involved in a, in a, um, in a gang fight where there was a gases released and then all of a sudden they became static shock, but we all have right. origin stories. So I would like you to just share yours. Tell us where you grew up, things you geeked out to as a child, you know, things that you enjoyed things that you even may still enjoy to this day, you know, just take us kind of from where you start to kind of where we're at now. Okay. Uh, well, for as long as I can remember, I've, I've loved art and drawing and storytelling. And from a young age, I wasn't really into sports, not like football and basketball. I was into martial arts. I was into fencing, gymnastics, archery. I appreciated things like that. And I was always fascinated with uh, different cultures, different languages. Um, as I mentioned before, when we were at CadetsCon, that, you know, part of my family is from the Orient. And so you grow up and you have certain influences around your life. And so I started working on things as far back as I, as I can remember. Uh, certainly a fan of uh, mythology, a uh, fan of uh, Professor Tolkien and his work. And really, the thing with Professor Tolkien is he, his mind was on a curve that the world hadn't caught up to yet. And he could see things and, and he was looking ahead in a much larger scale with fantasy and the way in which it was told, the way in which it was done and a lot of things based on his personal experience. And you can tell that by the way he really put it into his work. And so that really was a building block for so many people. And it still is today where it kind of shows you there's a difference between you don't want to mimic something, but to, when you draw inspiration from something, it gives you that, that kind of boost to say, okay, how, you know, what can I learn from this? that I could then take and, and start building uh, in my, my own way for my own work that I'd like to do. And then uh, I was, you know, aware of American comics. I've read some of them here and there. It's very, very rare. And it's been very particular ones that, that I have looked at. But the majority of the things that I've read have been uh, Chinese and Korean comic books uh, because they're done at such a, such a, unique way in a totally different way than the way Western uh, books are produced and written. Certainly visually, uh, they're, they're very different. So growing up, always looking into those kinds of things, huge fan of, of anime. And I mean, you and I, we're both old enough to remember anime wasn't like the popularity it has today. It wasn't right. always like that. You had to go out and find it. And it's funny because when we were at CadetsCon and uh, I was listening to the, the interview from the Saturday AM company mm -hmm. and uh, they were talking about how a lot of the animes they got into were like Naruto and things like that. And it, that Naruto is such a great series, but it's like, I think when I think anime, I think Macross Plus, mm -hmm. the record of Lotus War, Crying Freeman, the Bubblegum Crisis, mm -hmm. um, RG Veda, Black Lion, Ninja Scroll, the original Ghost in the Shell, Mad Bull, Eat Man, uh, the heroic legend of Prince Arslan. I mean, there were just so many great animes uh, that helped shape uh, so many things, especially in the 80s and then moving into the 90s. And so that's that's the era of anime that I still am very fond of and, and watch. And, and uh, I love Gundam. So Gundam is so great. I've got every Gundam series that they have oh, wow. released yeah, uh, on DVDs. And uh, I still have some of the U.S. Manga Corp VHS tapes from the 90s when oh, cool. they were doing the Guyver series. Mm -hmm. And so those are the kind of things that, I think about when I think about anime and it was, it was something that everything was so revolutionary at that time. It was changing. It, it, everything was unique in its own way, but it was, 
it was different and it was pushing one boundary from another. And, and so growing up around that, that was also a big influence and uh, people like Tetsuya Nomura and Hong Tae Kim and Andy Sato, Wing Shing Ma, uh, Joe Matarera, uh, you know, even though not from the East, but he's such a fantastic artist, you know, someone who really, he put his stamp on, on what he did. So artists like that, Pat Lee from, well, he's in Hong Kong now, but he was from uh, originally in Canada and mm-hmm. did Warlands and Dark Minds and- Dreamwave, I believe. It, it, yeah, it, Dreamwave, mm-hmm. great company. I, I miss their books. I tell Pat that all the time, whenever I get a chance to talk to him, I'm like, man, I, I miss Dreamwave because it, they, they had such great series that they, mm-hmm. uh, that they were putting out. Uh, and so- didn't he I do a run? Work. Didn't he do a run also with Marvel where it was he did a run with uh, Punisher Wolverine? It was like a Punisher Wolverine yeah. crossover. He did. Yeah. I love the that was that was early on in the that was like I want to say ninety eight, maybe ninety nine, because at the time they were just coming out with Dark Mind, mm-hmm. and he had already done work at Extreme Studios, but now he was branching off on you know kind of doing his own thing, and he did that series. And I remember I actually, I collected those solely for the covers. Uh, I mean, X-Men, they're cool, but it really, that kind of story isn't really the kind of story I like to read, but I bought it just for the art. Right. Uh, and I actually still have those. They're put away on the shelf. But mm-hmm. um, so I did that. But then uh, I had been working on stories for a while, uh, just different things here and there. And, you know, ideas would kind of come and go for certain things. And then in 1995, that's when I, I hit this, this pivoting point. And I was working on this story. And the next thing you know, um, a day turned into a couple weeks. A couple weeks turned into months. Months turned into a year. And now 25, 26 years later, here we are with this, this fleshed out reality in this this world and this this universe that's been built upon uh for for all these years and symphonic verses was originally called destiny mm-hmm. and it was shortly after uh, i was probably within the first year of it being uh created that i had changed the name and then it it became symphonic verses and it's you know it's been that uh ever since Okay, that's really awesome. That's really incredible. Now, um, one thing you mentioned was the anime, and I know Frederick and I have talked before. Frederick, matter of fact, Frederick and Jay Odin uh, were on the podcast before. And it's interesting that you talk about the difference in age because you talk about the fact that you know there it, when you when you've grown up and you see a different type of anime and you see the struggle. Mm-hmm. Like for example, when Akira first dropped in theaters. Yeah, like it was a mind blowing thing. It's like, wait, there's a cartoon that's not done by Disney in a movie theater. Exactly. What's this? You know, so you go check that out. You know, you you, yeah. you, you eventually see like the Guyver movies where you've got Mark Hamill. I think he was in the second yeah. one, and yeah. uh, he's you know becomes the Guyver. It's just like, what? Wait, a minute. I remember watching this uh, at like three thirty in the morning. On like a public access channel that had this on. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you had to hunt for it. It wasn't something that was readily available. Like, right, it wasn't. You know, and so it's just interesting to hear that kind of difference in the in the fandom. So you talk about different anime that you loved growing up and things you enjoy now. Uh, and of course, you talked about Naruto. Now, what are some anime that are there any anime that you really enjoy from the era of now? Just out of curiosity. Mm, I've like um, I still enjoy Dragon Ball Z. I don't get to watch it as often because I, I there's I'm like I work every day just right. about all day. It's very rare I ever have a day off, but um, I enjoyed that. I did enjoy Naruto. Uh, I enjoyed that very much. That was really well done, and um, I like uh, One Piece. Uh, then there was one, uh, a Wreck of Seven. I mean, that's a little older, but I enjoyed that one. Um, third, oh, what was it called? Uh, special, I think it's called Special Team Seven. That actually came out, I think, last year. It's like okay. a detective year. Then I watched that. It was like 
13 or 14 episodes, and that was one of the few things I actually got a chance to sit down and, and watch because it wasn't that long. Uh, and that was really good. I actually did enjoy, I enjoyed that. So there, there are some things from today that I do like uh, that I'll kind of stumble across here or there, but I still, I, I watch so many of the things that, that I really love. Like uh, out of all the Gundams, there's so many, I mean, from 0079, 0083, Stardust Memory, which is so, uh, so fantastic. I have to say out of all of them, G Gundam is my favorite. Okay. Uh, not just because there's the great action, there's the, the great techniques and these wonderful characters, but because really it's the emotional aspect of, of these characters and they're interacting with one another and how Domon Kashu and his relationship with Master Asia and his, his relationship with Rain Mikimura. And, and so there's, there's all these great complexities to these characters uh, where people could look at it and say, well, it's a cartoon. But really, anime has been ahead of Western animation for, for decades. And mm -hmm. there's, the West has started to catch up to some of these story elements in the way that you can do things. But it still is not like the Asian and European interpretations of how stories can be told. Um, so there, there are things that I do kind of like from today. But I, I spend most of the time, if I watch something, it's like from a series that I that I love so <laughs> yeah so I, I feel like with Gundam especially you know you really pick up that sense of if a soap opera uh had yeah. a lot of really cool elements of sci-fi and things like that if you had giant robots yeah. and stuff like that you would get Gundam because Gundam feels like it, it the story really does hook you and yeah. you know you yeah you've got big robots you've got these big battles you've got this very super political charged things going on yeah. you've got betrayal you've got love you've got sometimes grace given you've got trust you've got moments where trust is tested you know and yeah. like that. you've got all these human things that happen in relationships in the midst of this giant robot thing going on you know and I mean, you right. even look at something like, say, Neon Genesis Evangelion. You know, you right. look at that, how the, the, you've got Shinji, but you've also got his dad, and you've got all these different things. You've got how does his dad treat these people versus him? Why does he treat yeah. him differently? You know, and, and, and this, this sometimes feeling of defeat. Like, Shinji yeah. doesn't, it's like, I, I don't feel like there's a point where Shinji truly feels like he overcomes himself. Right, in a lot exactly. of ways, like he's his own worst enemy, even though you feel like his dad is. It's like you know, there's a point he has to make decisions, and he tends to always yeah. go to the safest decision made, you know. Yeah. And so, it's really interesting to see those storytelling elements because a lot of people think anime is just about the, the oh, it's the artwork, or oh, it's I'm like, well, it's part of it, but right. good anime right. should capture you emotionally, it should get you invested in the story, exactly. Exactly. That's what it should do. And it should make you, it, it should be where when those memories come to mind, you know, you still get that same excitement. You feel mm -hmm. that same impact of, wow, I, you know, you saw this unfold and you saw this in these great characters and the way that they're developed. Like, um, to, so take like Gundam Wing, for example. Uh, very good. And first time I saw Gundam Wing was in 1994, I believe. No. 90 no 1996 i'm sorry that was the first time i saw gundam wing was in 1996 mm -hmm. and uh you look at zex marquis and you look at noise and you look at their character dynamic and their relationship together but then you look at how zex's friendship with uh miliardo peacecraft was and and how it was put to the test and ultimately ended because mm -hmm. Uh, once Zex's mask broke, the bond that held their friendship together was no longer a pliable. And then he went on to become who he was, which was Miliardo Peacecraft. And there were just so, so many good characters. And you, you see it. And I learned more about civics in a political sense from watching Gundam than I did in middle school and in high school because <laughs> of the, the topics that are covered by these these nations and these political powers and that really was it was very much a, a learning uh process as well it's not just entertainment so it really like you said it's not just the art 
the emotional aspect, and that's what gets you. And that's when you know you're doing something the right way because when a person gets emotionally attached, they'll they will believe in it for forever. Um, mm-hmm. And that that makes it all the more worthwhile. Okay, so let's talk. Let's move over into the land of xenophonic verses. Let's let's talk a little bit about that and 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 the story. I know part of the story that amazed me was how far you shopped it along, and then how you shopped it along, and different people didn't really. Oh, it's too this. It's too that. It's not too. It's not enough of this. You know, and all these different things and the kind of the elements that went from kind of taking it. You know, maybe start with the story. You know, and then work towards the kind of shopping around part of it because that was fascinating to me. I was just like, that, that, to me, I, I tell you why it's fascinating. You hear people say, don't give up a lot, but you don't get to see a whole lot of examples of people who keep pressing on and pressing on and pressing on and pressing on and pressing on, even through the rejections, even through the different things, until they get it somewhere where they want it to be. So I think that's very inspiring. And that's, that's a mark to you and also to the story you're telling. Oh, well, I appreciate it. I, uh, the, the story of symphonic verses is it's centered around, there's a world uh, called Levi Samanos V. That's what their planet is called. And the, the great dragons, the celestial dragons of Eon, they created all things in this universe. And the last thing that they did was they created uh, two of the highborn races, which were the Elcyon Lords and then the Dracosan. Now, uh, the king of the dragons, his name was Tronos Adilio. He was responsible for creating the Dracosans. The other dragon lords didn't view that as something that should have happened. And that's why they called them the Dracosans because Dracul of sin, a, the sin of the dragon. That's basically what their race, that's what it, it means, that they are considered the sin of uh, their creator's offspring because the others felt like they should have been made more in the way in which the Elcyon lords were created. And so in order to show how uh, these races could rule their, their people and then other life was, of course, created. Other other beings, other forms of life came came about. But the dragons decided to bestow upon the leaders these swords, these crystal swords of power. And the swords, for generations, they taught people how to govern their people, how to protect their people, how to rule with wisdom. The swords had such a brilliance to them. They had such power to them that they could be really awakened by the rarest soul, uh, but it, it, it was found that it was for good or for bad. And so the era of the dragons was coming to an end, and they, they all began to dissipate, and they left, and they ascended to this other celestial realm where they were no longer accessible to the, the life forms that existed on this planet. And so all these you know, story, other story generations go by, but then we get to symphonic verses, and essentially, so the Countathalian Empire, it is an empire of great wealth, but they are an aristocratic war nation, but they have endless resources, and when you have endless money, you can do anything, because you have the resources to do whatever you would like to do, Mm -hmm. and they had a rule. The rule was, you cannot marry outside of our, our cultural status quo it just is how it was well generations go by and the current countathalian emperor decided that he would make this exception for his only granddaughter and she was in love with this man named captain banabel uh who was he was the heir of atu's fortune and atu was a man who was rumored to be wealthier than all the counts put together So they allow them to get married. Well, on the wedding day, she's found dead, murdered. He's nowhere to be found. The grief kills the grandfather. He's so distraught by it. Well, his his son, who ascends to the throne, decides, you know what? We're going to find the people responsible, and then we're going to punish them. But it doesn't stop there. He decides, you know what? We're going to show everybody how great and how powerful we really are. 
So 800 years go by, mm -hmm. and this war has been raging. Well, all along throughout the generations, these crystal swords of power have existed among these noble houses. Many of the swords were lost, many of them were destroyed, and many of the wielders were destroyed by the sword's power because they, they didn't know how to control it and manage it the right way. So very few noble houses still had them. So more time goes by, we get to where Adonis is born, and Adonis is the son of Insuculus Crepeum Latreculus, and he is the 525th king of the Noctum Imperium. Their bloodline directly descends from the original dragon king, Tronos Adilio. And okay. so they were blessed with the, not just the crystal swords, but also, but also the symphonic swords of Eon. See, there, there are different sets of them. And so the Latreculus bloodline, they are these venerated protectors who have to watch over the swords and protect their power from generation to generation. Adonis's father vanishes and is he's dead. He's died under very mysterious circumstances. No one knows why. And here you have this this child being raised by the stewards of this empire. And so he grows up. And when we meet him in the story, he's 413 years old. Uh, Dracosians live a very long time. It's like they could live 2,000 years. 5,000 years, but at a certain point, just like humans, they start to age like how we do, and you can only live but so long, and then eventually they do die, and, but it just varies from person to person, mm -hmm. and so the war is raging on. Many of the swords became lost. The dragons have long since vanished. Well, there's this peace treaty that is set to be signed, and this is where the story starts. It's this amnesty to end the 800-year war, because that's how long the counts have been fighting. But it's going to be held in the Glass Kingdom, and really, it's a it's it's really in one of their city kingdoms before you actually get to the Empire, because the Glass Kingdom has a rule: if you're not an Elcyon born within the Empire, you cannot enter it, but you are allowed to enter one of its city states, which is Ithizonian, uh, if you know to visit there. So this is where it's going to be held various empires from all over, the kingdom of Nevlium, the kingdom of Desvavari Nightingale, the Crystallis kingdom, they all are coming to witness this historic occasion, and Adonis goes solely because it's something that's so monumental, even though in his kingdom is far up in the north, it's like 8,000 miles uh, from where the Glass Kingdom is, so he had to travel a great distance to get there, so he's there, and this, uh, he, he meets the prime minister, and then that evening he meets a princess named Sapphiros, and he realizes that she possesses the same ability which he does, which is he can behold celestial light with his plain eyes. She also has this ability, hmm. and they're talking, and they're talking in front of this massive statue of this bust of uh, this being who's the empress of death and agony and beauty in the world named Vero, and they're there, and there's a lot of stuff that's going on, but then this attack happens. The Count Athelian army used that as a ruse to attack the Glass Kingdom because there are things there that they want, not necessarily that power, but other things that they're after that are hidden within the empire. And so long and short, Adonis ends up being caught in the middle of this, this war that they thought was going to end, but it continues to rage on. He has lost his throne, he's lost his wife in death, and he finds out that he has to make a choice, not between good and bad, but between evil and a greater evil. Mm -hmm. So how can you do what's right when all you can do is what's wrong? And that's, that's, that's the issue that he possesses, and he's trying to find a way to defeat death, to bring his, his love back to life. So there are a lot of things that are going on. Then the swords return. <clears throat> now all these powers are vying for supremacy. The last of these, these broken dynasties, remnants of things that have long since disappeared, now they're trying to claim them. Many of the swords are blessed onto Adonis's bloodline. And so there are three swords in particular that have to be captured. He already has one of them. 
and then it's the quest to find the other two. So there's a lot of things going on. Uh, and that's, and then the story just continues to move forward from there as him and Lady uh, Sephiroth and Adonis, his mentor, Concerto. And all it's, it's so many things that are going on. Uh, but that's, that's what led up to the events in volume one where, where the reader picks up. I would love to see the character Bible that you've got for this because <laughs> this, <laughs> this, just the breadth of the amount of story there. You know, I think you mentioned you, you I think you mentioned during the interview at CadetCon that you literally have enough stuff the way you could go through your whole entire life and not get the full story out. And I think you know, I, just listening to you talk about it, it's like, dude, well, I want to know about the stuff in the past. I want to know about the Dragon Lords. I want to know about this. I want to know about this. <laughs> you know, some of the little things. <laughs> some of that will be like there's a lot of stuff. Um when okay. There's a reason why I don't I don't really post pages from the book. I sometimes you see you you see people post online and they'll you know they're like here's ten pages from issue one, and there's nothing wrong with that. I I get the reason for it. Mm -hmm. Me personally, though, I believe that if you just if you give away too many aspects of things you take that experience away from the reader because you want them to be able to see certain things on their own and mm -hmm. experience it on their own. And I feel like if you, if you show them all that, it takes away and it, 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 it takes that personal aspect of that away that they get to share and, and, and be impacted by. So I, I never show a lot of that. And there are so like, here's an example. Okay. So I have another series called Lycos Ipetus, which is called The Lord of the Wolf Knights. Mm -hmm. And then there's another series called Desu, Sword of Tears. There is an object that the main character possesses from Reisu. Now, in Lycos Ipetus, there is a weapon that is used by a particular character that ends up being used by a character in symphonic verses, although there's nearly 11,000 years between the two events in their story. Mm -hmm. The orb from one, show, it actually shows up in symphonic verses volume one. Uh, so if you, if you got to the part in the beginning where you see Agonia, and mm -hmm. she has returned, and she's talking to scorned Uniscorn, and they're having that conversation, and she's talking about the mirrors of the dragon's tears, mm -hmm. and they're talking about, and then you see that orb that's cracked. Right. Yeah, that orb is from Sword of Tears. Oh, that once belonged okay. to that character. So, see, there's all these little breadcrumbs of things that are connected to all these things that go on, and so. There are other series called Solus, uh, Tale of the Ravenous Wolves, the Crimson Empire, the Assassin One Gatilard Association. There are all these other stories that I've written, and all these things connect. They all pull from one to the other, and you can see, you can actually go back by generational bloodlines, and you, like, if, and, and at some point, I know I'll publish it, Adonis's Bloodline. It is completely written out all the way back to its original conception, which is from the dragons themselves uh, down to Lord Volpus Corvum Artigen I, who was the first of the Dracosan kings, mm -hmm. all the way down until you get to the events known as uh, the Dark Love, which is it's a, it's another series that I'm going to do at some point, and it's bigger than all the other series that I've ever done, that is like the largest of them and it connects to everything. But Adonis and his house are direct descendants from two of those noble houses all the way down to the generational timeline in which he lives in, mm -hmm. which is after the, it's, it's called Dracosin's Aurelian Eon. And, and so in their dialect, uh, the word for history is called Villarudium. And so there's actually, there is a Villarudium that I have. It's a physical book that is literally written. Everything that happens from one royal house to the next, it's all in there. The Sanul kingdom is in there. So there are all these things that 
uh, I want to be able to show people. It's just, it's how you do it and the timing in which you do it. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of stuff will get covered in the TV show. So it's, it's just kind of a, kind of a balancing act, I guess, is a way to, a way to put that. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. So you, you mentioned the TV show and things like that, but you, you, so let's talk about that. How did you get from self-publishing these works, these two volumes that are out there so far, to getting the TV show? I believe there's an anime as well, and then Second Sight mm-hmm. Publishing. You know, how did that all come to be? So, uh, so I started pitching the book to publishers in 2012, and. I mean, nobody, nobody was, was interested. The rejections were coming back if I got them, because sometimes I didn't, because the no meant the, the rejection was a no when right. they just, you know, don't respond. And uh, I sent out submission after submission after submission from 2012 here, and then here wrote 2013, 2014. And in the very beginning, yeah, I mean, it was, it was discouraging. It, it was, especially when I remember, I think I was like at the first 15 or 20 rejections. And that was really, that was depressing. It was just like, okay, this, I don't know what is, why isn't this working? But I, I just, I kept going. I, I don't know why, but I was, I just was compelled to keep trying. And so I tried and I tried. And at that point, the book wasn't even, it wasn't out. All I had was just the, the first colored prelude pages, which was like four of them that I had released in a small sketchbook, a complete works art book in 2012. Before that, I had been going to shows since like 2000, maybe, no, maybe 1999 was the first one I went to with uh, Panther Comics. And that's a publishing company that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but so anyway, so I, I did that and I would just sell posters of character art. I sold every poster I would ever take to a show with me. And I sometimes would have stacks, 50, 60, 100, all gone at every show. It was selling out, selling out, selling out. And people were always asking, well, where's the book? Where's the book? I'm like, I'm working on it because it took so long to develop the art style for it because I knew right. what I wanted. And it, it wasn't something that it just, it didn't happen like that overnight. So anyway, so I'm submitting, I'm submitting, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. 157 rejections is, that's how many times I submitted to a publisher or to publishers. And that's how many rejections there were, 157. And so I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't working. So let me try a different approach. Mm-hmm. So I had been on Facebook for a little while. I think I got on Facebook in 2010. And uh I was like, well, I'll share some artwork. And it didn't it didn't get uh it didn't get uh traction a lot. But it was it you know, most people were like, well, it's not like Western art, so they they're like, we don't like it. So it took time. It took time to develop a rapport where people were like, hey, wait, you know, let me, let me look at this. Let me see what's going on. So I decided I'm going to release the book in 2017, the whole first volume. So I'm going to put it out. I'm going to open pre-orders. I'll take pre-orders and I'll share it and, and market it around. I opened pre-orders May the 6th of 2017 because I was going to release the book November uh, of 2017. So I opened pre-orders May 6th. First day, a little slow. Before I knew it, there were so many orders coming in, it crashed my website twice. Oh, wow. There, it, I, excuse me, I had to, uh, my agent, her name is Sonia Park, very nice lady. She had to increase the bandwidth on the website twice. <laughs> in order to uh, account for all the orders that were just pouring in. And I mean, they were coming from all over the globe. Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, South Africa, Canada, Ireland, England, Austria, all over the United States. And I'm like, I'm in shock. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what what is, 
what is going on? So all these, these orders, they're starting to come in. Well, before I had even done that in 2017, in 2016, I had met a vice president from the Hollywood studio, which is called the Global Genesis Group. And he saw my work and he said, um, he said, hey, why don't you give me a call Monday? Here's our number, three o'clock sharp, don't be late. I said, okay, I, I'll call right at that time. So I was like, okay, I gotta make sure I time this just right. So that Monday rolled around, I called and he, they pick up and I called right on time. And they said, okay, we're here, whole board of directors on the phone. I didn't know they were all gonna be there from the film oh, wow. studio okay. to the president of the film company himself. And they said, okay, you have 30 seconds, pitch us your story. And I'm like, oh my God, okay. So I go, I tell them what it's about. They're like, okay, we like it. We're gonna give you a TV deal for it. And I remember looking at the phone and I thought, no, he couldn't have just said what I thought he said. And I, <laughs> right. and I was like, wait, a, a TV deal? They said, yeah, we're gonna give you a TV deal for it. And we'll, you'll get to be an executive producer and a writer and you'll get actual Hollywood credits for that. And oh, wow. I thought, wait, no, <laughs> this can't be happening because I couldn't even get a publisher to pick it up, let alone uh, a, a Hollywood movie studio. Why mm -hmm. would they be interested when I couldn't even get someone to print it? Right. But they were like, no, we love it. We like it. So we're going to pick it up. So they gave me the deal. So then fast forward back to 2017, I put the book out, sells out. Then more orders were people, more people wanted it. Did another print run, sold out of that. Did another print run, I sold out of that. So I, I've sold five print runs just on its own. Then I was working on volume two. Uh, volume two gets finished. It, it sold out. Meeting Second Sight, I, I know the guys who, who run it, manage it, and they actually came to me and were like, hey, we've seen this uh, and we like it, you know, let's, let's talk. And I thought, well, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, I've already, I've been doing this so long now without a publisher, and that has its advantages and disadvantage because when orders come in, you have to do everything. You have mm -hmm. to do all the shipping, all the, and my, my house would just, when there were orders coming in, there are pictures I, I can send you later on Messenger filled with boxes that I had to pack <laughs> and sign. And it just like, it was, it would take weeks and weeks to, to pack and ship everything. Um, and so then we, we, we talked and it was like, okay, they're like, we, we like what you're doing. Uh, let's, let's work something out. So we did. And so now uh, Symphonic Verses is going to come out nationwide, um, November 25th of this year. And what's funny is I re originally released it November 1st of 2017. And yet here we are a few years later, and they're releasing it in November again. But this time it will be available nationwide so that it can reach a even wider audience of people that, that I hope will enjoy it. and then. Volume two will come out, I think, at the end of January 2021, because since volume two is already done, and I'm working on volumes three and four, I'm working on Lycos Impetus, so I'm, there's all this stuff I'm, I'm trying to get done, but that's how things progress from where they were to all the submissions, all the rejections, it couldn't get anybody to, to give it a chance, and, and I'm not trying to, this isn't like, oh, I'm trying to put a company on blast and this and that, but the majority of those rejections came from Image. I submitted to them 45 times, and they rejected it all 45 times. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I just kept sending it, and they kept rejecting it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to stop trying, but then eventually I just decided to do my own thing. But um, and, and then here we are, and so uh, Symphonic Verses is – it's going to have a video game. Uh, it's going to have an action figure line. 
It's an anime series that's going to come worldwide. Uh, one of the, the future aspects that uh, I, I want to be able to get done is the live action, like uh, theatrical trilogy. So that's something that we, we've talked about being able to do. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that's now going on. And then they picked up three more of my series. So I've, I've got multiple TV deals now. And uh, it, it's just, it's one of those things where I never in a hundred years would have dreamed that this is where things would end up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I can say from experience is that, I mean, I've been doing this a long time and if you just keep going and you keep trying and you, you think outside the box, things, things will happen that you, you didn't expect to happen, but you have to, you know, the most important thing is it's like I tell people all the time, just stay humble, keep your head down, work, stay creative, stay ambitious. Don't, I see so many people in this, they're like Facebook famous with their friends and they're, and it's like, yeah, but when you put it out there against the real world, people who aren't your friends, people who aren't looking to maybe support project of the project, if you can't, if you can't snag in an average consumer, it won't survive. It won't mm-hmm. work. And I've been very fortunate uh, to have met several people who said they stopped reading comics 20, 30 years ago, but Symphonic Versus has rekindled the love for comic books, and now they're reading them again because of, of my series. And mm-hmm. I take that as a, it's a very kind compliment, and it's, and again, uh, I, we talked about this at CadetCon, it's not because of me, or because I've done something so different, so great, or so, no, I, I'm just a guy, these are just these are just my characters. This is just the story, but it's because people believe in it that it becomes something else. It's because of them, and and so at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. It's about what can I do to keep making sure that I'm providing something of quality and substance, and continually uh, living up to the expectations that readers have. Because I have that for myself that I don't want to give people something that's, that I don't believe is, is a quality that I would stand by. So it, you have to make sure you're always putting them first because it's, it's about them. It's because of them. Um, and, you know, that's, that's just kind of how it works. Okay. Okay. And so you've got, you, you've got a lot of flames in the fire. I've seen some of your uh, designs for some of the characters and things like that. So the action figures and things like that. And I'm just like, take my money. Because some of the stuff just looks really, I mean, I see this stuff. I'm just like, first of all, some of the armor designs and some of the different things. And it's just like, okay, so it just, it captures so much of a, the feel of the Orient, you know. But at the same time, it has an awful, very mystical feel to it. And I think I commented on one of the pieces. I was like, feels like a phoenix to me. And you were like, you know, yeah, you're kind of on the right path on that. You know, and, and again, it's kind of that, you know, Go just a little bit out there, not enough to tell the story, but just enough to say, here's the hook. Right. You know, that, I can't make you bite, but I got to throw it out there and see what happens. So I thought that was really neat. And to see some of these different designs, to see some of these different characters and see, it has a very epic feel. It really does. It feels like it's this thing that can really can go on for a while because there's so much story just in the bloodlines of these characters, you know, and, and it's just seeing the visuals and then seeing, hearing the story, it's just really impactful in a lot of ways. So who are some artists, who are some artists that inspired you as far as creating these worlds that you created in? Um, well, yeah, the, the, the story is, I mean, Believe me, there are so many things I wish I could just say about <laughs> the story that uh, would, you know, some of the, the writers for the TV show, they know things about the series that most people don't solely because, you know, I have to get everybody caught up to where they, they, uh, they fully understand what's going on. Right. And 
as I've revealed certain things to these writers and, and these the people at the studio and they're just like, holy crap, what? And it's like, yeah, that's kind of what's going on. But I, everything connects in this way. And so um, for, for artists who inspire me and continue to inspire me uh, are uh, people again, like Tetsuya Nomura and, uh, Hong Tae Kim and Andy Sato and Wing Shing Ma and Joe Mad and Pat Lee and Carl Bang and just these in, incredible uh, artists and, and writers and Kai Wei Kit and, and just these people who have these amazing uh, talents that when you see it and there are days where I'm like, uh, I just want to throw my computer out the window. I'm like, I don't even want to, I'm like, I don't know how they do this stuff so many there there are a great many artists um from europe and from asia who work on legends of the cryptids um that i'm friends with that i follow online and you talk about talent oh my gosh these men and women the things they can do it blow your mind it just it blows your it blows mine all the time and mm -hmm. and so there again is the thing of don't be comfortable with art always push always get beyond this concept of oh you don't want book to look this way and, and sometimes i see people and they're like oh well i'm i'm learning how to draw comic books so i'm i'm studying jim lee who jim lee is a good artist but he has became a better artist because he started taking advice from uh kim jong the kim jong is such a master illustrator mm -hmm. and that has improved even on what jim lee understood because his knowledge is it's I, I it's no diss against him but it is superior than jim lee's because he just understands things from a totally different perspective and so that's what you have to do is you have to continually learn continually pick up tips and advice and stay hungry don't don't settle into this i'm just going to do it this way and and i've you know shared input with people before where it's like if you want to learn art don't just read or look at comics you need to study art anatomy color theory shadowing painting all these different things even sculpture because you can take something away from that and it can help you to add to what you're doing from a three-dimensional sense to thinking three-dimensional in a two-dimensional space. Mm -hmm. And that's a really important thing to do. Um, and it, it, it's very helpful. Uh, so I just, I just keep looking at people who, who do these things and have these things, and, and that's, that's just how it works. Yeah, I recently joined Skillshare, and one of the first lessons mm. I took was uh, shape language. And talking oh, about nice. how shapes encourage, um, how shapes really encourage different visual cues. For example, you know, if you yeah. know somebody that say has more triangles in their visual, you know, stylings, that they can be looked at as more villainous because you know, look at like Maleficent, or, or you look at other right. sort of characters of the Cruella de Vil, and they use different people. They they really reference a lot of the Disney characters. And what they said was, if you'll notice, a lot of these Disney characters, their villains tend to be triangular, with the exception mm -hmm. of Ursula from uh, Little, Mermaid. Little Mermaid. But what they also yeah. said was, you have to remember too, shape language can be used to confuse. Exactly. Because you want to subvert the expectation. You don't want all of your villains to have a triangular look, because if they do, then you start getting accused of doing the same thing over and over again. And so right. you have a character exactly. like a like a like a like a Ursula who's very round, she's very bouncy, you know, she's loud and she's very verbose, and you know, you would think, you, yeah. know, you know, but but she's but she doesn't look type because if you consider Ariel for the same movie, you know, she's very circular as well in her shape and form. So there's right. a little bit of a kindred spirit even in that regard, which if you look at the story of it, makes sense because again, that's kind of how Ursula gets her on her good side. She's like. Well, you know, girl, I understand what this is like. I understand what you're right. Here's what you can do. You know. Right. Meanwhile, her dad, they talked about uh King Triton, was very triangular in form. Very triangular and blocky. Almost it, it's almost a mix of blocks with triangles. 
But they talked yeah. about the fact that he had this regal, they wanted to put this straightest very regal look about him. So he, he's very yep. strong looking physically, but yet at the same time, he has these points in his shapes. Exactly. So a kingly figure. And so there are ways that, you know, shape language can convey different things. And so I really had never thought about that because I grew up in the era of the, um, you know, draw the marble way. Everybody was made of circles. You know, you had the circle head, you had your circle chest, you had the cylinders, nope. the arms, you had the circle fist, you had to, and I never really had thought about how shapes can change your perspective, exactly. what people look like. And so I really appreciate that because, you you know, you told me that, you know, I remember asking you about that. You told me, it's like, well, look outside of the things you know, look outside of the things that inspire you and push yourself. And so that's why I was like, well, what is shape language? I don't really understand what that is. You know, tangents. So I really had never consciously thought of, but when I started looking into the classes on tangents, I was like, okay, so if that, I can see how that confuses the eye. You know, if you have a tangent mm -hmm. where, like, say, for example, somebody's hunting somebody, but then that line runs into the building behind them. So then all of a sudden, now you've just confused the reader because they're looking at the fist and that line goes right into the building. Well, are they hitting them with a building? <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. See these little these little things and it ultimately and and you're on the right path, my friend, you really are and it comes down to this very basic thing. Everything that is complicated are simply a firm grasp of the basics but just from another perspective. Mm -hmm. That's all it really is. There the, the people say oh, it's a secret and say there are no secrets. Not really. That, that's just what it is, is you have a very strong foundation on these basics, but then as you get to these advanced things, as you look back and you see the, the points connecting, you realize, oh, that's just that. It's the same thing, but it's just from a, it's just from a firmer grasp of what it is. That's why it's so important to understand fundamental things. And people think, no, I want to advance. I want it to look like this and like that. Great, it can get that, but you need to understand this so that you'll understand that. That's the whole point. So you're on the right path because think about it. How many times do you, sometimes you see people and they say, well, a villain has to look this way and dark and brooding and this and that. Well, they can look that way, but sometimes the villain looks like the hero. Sometimes the villain can be more beautiful than the beautiful people. Sometimes the people who are the worst look like they are the most the, the highest of their nobility the greatest of the regals that they could have so it varies from from character to character and the perception of these things but therein lies also the importance of understanding story really having flushed out characters not cookie cutter things because it there are so many things that like, okay, this is not a dog against the superhero genre. It's, it's cool. And many people uh, have superhero stories, and that's great. And I, I can appreciate why, you know, that need to have that feeling about hope and justice and these things that these heroes stand for. But there are so many of those. It's so saturated in so many ways. And so sometimes you'll see things and they're so similar to other things that the distinction between the two is nearly impossible. And sometimes the things will come from one of the bigger two. And then you'll have someone who's an independent who's just a hair fraction away from being the exact duplicate of one of those things. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. But the problem is that those things normally don't get a chance to become something more. They don't get a chance to become something greater because when you look at things from a, a whole picture, if you have Doctor Strange and then there's Doctor Fate and then a someone comes up with a character and it is a mixture of those two and they call him, oh, he's the sorcerer of fate. Well, the problem not just in title, is the fact that if it's already too close to both those lines, no one will want to risk investing a lot of money into something 
that the big two have the resources to fight and, and dispute and say, you know what, no, this is this and that. Mm-hmm. And it puts you in a bad place. And people will say, no, that's not true. And no, that doesn't happen. And no, no it does happen. It, it happens all the time. Uh, you, can, you can look at cases where people have tried certain things and it doesn't work. Why? Because one, it's either not sellable or two, it's too close to something that already exists. And no one's going to risk, you know, what small publisher is going to say, oh, well, I was going to, you know, publish this book about the man who's a bat and he looks like Batman without, you know, ears on his head. And <laughs> it's too, it, and I've seen stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I've seen, there are certain, I saw one, I saw one book where the character on the front literally looked like Wolverine without the pointy things on his helmet. And I just thought, how did that get past? an editor to get put as a cover to be published. And it literally looks like something that Wolverine already is. Mm. And, and so it's just like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think that if you're going to be creative, yeah, it can be hard, but it's better to truly be original in the best of what you can do than to try to mimic something that is, that's like this. That's already there, and and I just, uh, me personally, I just don't think that's the the path to pursue. Okay, well, first of all, I, 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 I we're we're hitting our time pretty close. Oh. I hate that. Uh, I'm sorry, because, I didn't mean to overtalk. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. I would love to talk with you more. I don't want to disrespect your time because I said about thirty minutes <laughs> to an hour, and I don't want to sit there and be like. Well, let's talk for another 25 minutes, an hour or two, but I know you've got stuff you're working on, so I don't want to do that. I want to respect your time. So at some point, we're going to do a part two on this. Uh, sure. I really want to hear more about, for example, writers that inspire you. I see a bunch of Star Wars stuff in the background, so I want to talk with you about Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I love I love Star Wars. You know, all that stuff. So we're going to have to definitely do a part two at some point. Like I said, I know you're busy. That's good. I know you've got a lot going on, so I want to respect that. So where can the people? find you in the land of social media so if they want to get in touch with you as far as getting ready to because we got november is not too far away it, no it's, it's not it's not too far away at all uh this year has taught me time truly is very small because yeah. you, you you a lot of people saying oh this is just dragged on i'm like as it drags on for me like it it, it i feel it like, this, this, you know, it's been a lot of being at home, but I still feel the time going away. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. what have I done with it? You know, I'm looking back at time already going, what have I done? What have I produced? What have I created? You know, what have I done with the time I have? Because you can't get it back. No, so, we can't. No, you're right. And that's, and it's very true. And it's, uh, you know, you're, I tell you, my friend, you're, you're on the right path with so many things. And, and I just encourage you to keep doing that and to keep it up. Um, and, and for people, if they're interested in the series, uh, on Instagram, it's Symphonic Verses, uh, the anime on Facebook, it's Symphonic Verses. Uh, then there is symphonicverses.com. Uh, you can look up the series on IMBD. Uh, you can just type it into Google and it will show up right there. Um, and so, uh, any links that anyone would request or anything from, from watching this, I'd be happy to send them to you to, to post anywhere that you'd like. And, um, and then, of course, the book is coming out now from Second Sight Publishing. And so their Facebook page and their website where you can see about the news releases and, and all the other great books that they're doing. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to November. And, and uh, there's two new exclusive covers coming for volume one that are re- I, I really am happy with. And uh, I, you know, I hope people will, will like it. Yeah, I would I would hope to have the honor one day to. I don't know that I can do what you do, <laughs> but I would, it would be all, an honor one day to be able to like draw a cover for one of your works at some point. So, oh man, I, I'm open to I love art. Art's only bad when you steal it. Other than that, <laughs> yeah, don't don't art steal is art. Always good. <laughs> don't steal art, kids. That's the important thing. That's right. <laughs> I well, say kids. It's funny. Sometimes people will say, you know, well, he says kids a lot, but they, it's like. There was a time where commercials did that a lot. They'd be like, okay, kids, it's time to go check out the cookie drawer and see what, uh, 
you know, sugar bears up too. You know, that's kind of thing. So that's kind of where I stole that from. It's like my growing up era. So I'm not literally calling people kids because I'm not a child, but you know, in some ways, I guess I'm childlike. Uh, so, I but see, that's the thing is we're we're childlike, and that see, people people who can't or maybe aren't dreamers, they grow up and they forget how to dream. They forget that impossibility can become possible through various mediums. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's sad when people don't dream, but that's, that's what being childlike, I really think it's a blessing to be able to, to still see the world not so cynical, but to see possibilities through, through creative endeavors. Um, and it, I think that's a good thing. Okay, well, that's the mic drop. I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> listen, listen, thank you so much for coming on. I uh, greatly appreciate well, it. Thank I you. am honored to have the chance to talk with you uh, about this stuff. And I mean, just, you know, I just appreciate you as a person. Like I said, just taking time out to even, you know, sit down and talk with me it's off offline about stuff and different things like that. I just thank you for that. And um, oh, no, no greatly appreciate it. And um, so, Go out and Xinjiang is 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 going places. He he is, and I'm glad those doors are opening for him, and different things like that. And so it's an opportunity and an honor. So guys, you've been you've just been a part of another conversations about dot 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 with me. I'm Will. I thank you for joining us for this conversation. And above all else, do me a favor, be blessed and be blessed with somebody, guys. Take care. This episode is powered by Poddex.